Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. We are moving right along in this season and there is no shortage of inspiring guests that I have been blessed to engage in meaningful and impactful conversations with. My guest today is a legendary actor and director with over 100 TV and film credits spanning across a variety of genres. You've seen him on HBO's True Blood and in his recurring role on season 5 of Insecure with Issa Rae and most recently on the ABC drama For Life. He is currently getting ready for the premiere of his most recent film, and Union, and I'm grateful that I get a chance to talk with him today. Mr. Greg Daniel, thank you for being on the show. It's my pleasure. I feel like Gandalf or something. <laughs> when you went through all that, I felt old. I was like, am I like the black Gandalf or hey, something? Hey, hey, you've had quite a career. You should be proud of that. It's and amazing. I am blessed. I, I make light of it, but believe me. It's just like when you're listening to it, you kind of go, oh, are they going to retire me now? <laughs> it's just like a roast dinner where they go, and Greg was. And and so, and thank you, Greg. So, no, thank you. Uh, thank you for reading those. Thanks for your praise. It was, uh, I have been truly blessed that um, ever since I got out here, I'm a native New Yorker, born and raised. Oh, okay. Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Well, since you're a native New Yorker, I, I would love to know what about growing up in Brooklyn kind of set you on the path of wanting to become an actor? Like who influenced you or what influenced you to make that decision for your career? You know, there's so many things there because there's no artist in my family per se. My, my brother did become a drummer, a, a African drummer uh, for a while, but my mom and dad have, has no, they don't have any kind of uh, uh, artistic roots in terms of bringing on. But, you know, Brooklyn's a really stimulating place. It mm -hmm. just is culturally, particularly yeah. among African Americans. It's just, uh, there's so many groups there, the Caribbean folks, the American folks, and just being in that cocoon, we were very religious in that we were a member of uh, AME Church. So every week I was in church. And that was kind Same. of a performance. I grew up in AME Church oh, as well. Oh, AME. Go ahead, sister. Yes, I, I, yes. I was with Trinity AME's church. What was the name of your church? It was called St. Paul AME. And it was one of the only black churches in Santa Barbara because it was, you know, a predominantly white town so i was very lucky to actually have that upbringing and to have that exposure to, to my wow. culture wow yeah, and yeah. there's something about church and you know, speaking the scriptures because they did invite me to speak scriptures give little speeches so in a way i the, it, i think the sound of language and the love of language mm. is partly how i became an actor because my father was also caribbean and uh, his, his island is independent now, but we would have uh, volumes of Shakespeare hanging around because obviously uh -huh. the influence of the British was very, very heavy yeah. on the Caribbean islands. They used to kind of own them or rule them at least. And I would open it and read it, not knowing a thing that they said, but something about the rhythm and the musicality of language was really my first hook to get into mm -hmm. acting. And then of course, being in a church where you know, one response to the voice, the listening to hear voices, more so than physically you hear in voices, that sort of put something in my DNA, I guess, about uh, the richness of language, the richness yeah. of performing, or being able to move a crowd with a text, being able to move a crowd of people with words that you are speaking. Words have power, mm -hmm. they have a music to them, they have something to them. So that whole symphony, blues opera, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> it was, it, it was, uh, it definitely was impactful in terms of my loving to speak language, my loving to hear text. I love that. Did you do your Easter speeches too? 
I did. Did you too? Oh, absolutely. Oh, girl, we got to talk. We got Easter speeches too. This is amazing. I don't meet many people from AME churches. Oh, I know. I don't either. It's a, it, it is actually a very rare thing, which is so interesting. But yeah, I, I knew my Easter speech. I Easter knew every speeches. other kid's Easter speech too. I was always well, memorizing everybody else's in case they messed up or forgot. That's remarkable because we had to stand up and do our Easter speeches as well. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yep. So you know what I'm talking about in terms of stand when you're young, when you're sort of pubescent and you're among a crowd saying a speech and they're listening intensely because of course I want you to do well. Yeah. They know your mom and dad or whatever. It's just <laughs> yes, a, yes. And they're listening. And you know, the power of, again, saying the speech and having people react to it, even when they're encouraging you because you've forgotten something or whatever. I just remember how the congregation just came together to uplift you yeah, and to sort of really hold you as a child pretty much reading a speech. Was that a similar yeah, experience Absolutely. It was absolutely community. Definitely the whole, it takes a village, but everyone, and if you messed up, they'd be like, that's okay, baby, that's you right. got it. That's you know, right. It was always this just beautiful, you know, that's encouragement. Right. And it, I, it, I young, loved it. A young black child getting that kind of support and that kind of nurturing, you know, because you didn't get it in school. I mean, right. just, just, just right. feeling that community of people, of elders and of uh, your peers just... Uh, hearing you and, and nurturing you like that. So I really do believe that was part of my entrance into um, becoming an actor. I love that. So, I mean, you, you have been in the industry for a while and I know that when you started, you know, culture was different in Hollywood Very. and we're starting to see a shift in, you know, the culture, but also just the makeup of sets, you know, in Absolutely. front of the camera and behind the camera. And Absolutely. I love seeing this shift, but I can only imagine that when you started out, you know, roles for people that look like you and I were probably few and far between. So when you started actively working on sets, what was the culture like, especially in terms of diversity? Well, I mean, it's different. Even if you want a black show, like a black sitcom, the uh, the people in front of the camera might have been black, but the people behind the camera were certainly not black. Right. They were black. Well, the writing room. I came from that tradition where they thought white males really knew comedy. They were the mm. ones that wrote comedy. So uh, I can't tell you the list I get every time I step on the set of uh, of. Um, Insecure. It's mm -hmm. amazing because Issa is remarkable, and mm -hmm. she has brothers and sisters, young ones, in, in all kinds of positions behind and front. I mean, we are the set. Yeah. It is there everywhere. And I can't tell you how much I feel for the younger people who are getting a chance to see. For them, it's good. This is normal. This is normal yeah. to be going into the office, out of the office, contacting this actor. And I just think it's so positive because you feel like you're part of it. It, 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 it. Way back when I felt like I'm a guest there. I'm just a guest. Uh, so I got to be careful. Watch the PQs, watch it. Yeah, don't get yeah. too black. Don't. But then when you're on a set that is filled with BIPOC individuals, uh, you, it's just, you, you know, it's a familiarity there. There's a familiarity. Sure. I certainly know what it took for them to get here and that someone enabled them to get here. And what we're hoping is still the church. It's still yeah. the church in some ways of lifting and saying, you can do this job. If you want to dream about being in this guild or having that position, you can still do that. And yeah. so when I go into that set in particular, specifically, I am so proud of uh, all the brothers and sisters I see in various, yeah. in various, so that's changing and it's about time. Even females, I mean, seeing females behind the camera, DPs, uh, uh, directors, it's, because back then it was again, it was mostly white males. Yeah. Who, you know, who's doing comedy or doing the shows, but now seeing so many different females that, that are running the running the store and, and and in positions that traditionally were not. 
females are usually script supervisors. You want a script supervisor, then you get the females to keep the notes mm, and mm. about where do we stop? What do we need to do? Who, what do they pick up before? But what about one of the camera ops? What about one of the uh, right. camera technicians? What about, so it, it's, it's a pleasure. Things have changed for the best. It took the summer of 2024 to happen. It took yeah. that to happen. But yeah. if anything, and I don't mean to belittle that the murder of George Floyd just galvanized this nation, galvanized the world. Yeah. And I don't sure. want to ever downplay that because, wow, I have seen so much change in the last few months after that. I know I also run a theater company as a mm -hmm. stage director. I mean, other theater companies are looking at their seasons, the choices, and going, hmm. When I say theater companies, I mean some of the white theater companies suddenly are embracing it in a way. EDI is the word now. Yeah. I, I hope it stays that way, but equity, diversity, and, and uh, inclusion, those mm -hmm. are the words. And so they're rethinking are we part of the solution or were we actually part of the part problem? Of the problem. Right, right. Hiring one black director or one black writer or one, that's not systemic change. Yeah. You know, if the 22 episodes, you, of two of the 22 episodes you have when you're shooting, you have BIPOC individuals in two of them. So it's such a refreshing and wonderful change. It was hard in coming. Those people literally lost their lives in order yeah. to be catalysts for the change. So I, there's a couple things I, I, I want to follow up with you on, on the things that you said. One, in terms of like a lot of studios and theater companies finally making this push, does it feel genuine to you or does it feel at all performative? Because I know there's this hard, it's this difficult thing to navigate for sure. Because Absolutely. while we want them to move forward and have this progress, it feels like, well, why did it take somebody dying in the mm. streets for you to wake up, yeah. you know? Well, one thing that's good is that we're calling them on it now. I know when we, there's a document that went around last, it was a 20, early 2020, mid 2020, called We See You Black Theater. Mm. No, we see you white theater, pardon me. Mm -hmm. We see you white theater, mm -hmm. where some of the just high profile actors, directors who are of color in theater, wrote to these institutions listing. I mean, there's a, you can go down the list paragraphs of how we feel we weren't included. Mm -hmm. So it's not enough to be performed. I think they were performing. You are absolutely right. But now you're being called on it. I mean, when, when a corporation pulls a convention out of a city because they are concerned about how is this going to be, how is this going to look, that's a kind of practice that I go, okay, now it's going to be systemic change because now you have them making choices to it's no longer cool to name baseball teams after our indigenous brothers and sisters right, right. that 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 can't happen yeah. that is racist in its core if you yes. want to turn away from white supremacy and white privilege well then you're going to have to make s systemic change but change it will say well you know you said that in march of a, but if they're being called on it it's being documented yeah. thank god for the web and the internet it's being documented well this company said this and this I mean, we're not afraid now to call them on it to say, well, you know, when you said you were going to increase your board, your board of directors now needed to be more equitable, diverse, and inclusive. Mm -hmm. Now it's a year later. So tell me, how many BIPOC individuals do you have on your board right. now? Right. Well, we, oh, it's like that. <laughs> well, calling them on it with this fervor, it's almost like, you know, the, the little engine that could. Now they know that we're watching. Yes. <coughs> Yes. They know, and we will probably, well, you know, this firm, don't buy from these folks or whatever. Don't patronize, don't attend, don't, because while they said they were going to do it, it was performative and it was right. not systemic. So there's a real fervor now that these corporations, and when corporations begin to do it, you know it's all about the dollar, but they're still going to do it. 
Then they just pulled the NBA game out of Georgia. Mm -hmm. Even, I think, some film production companies as well. When have you seen that? I mean, when have you, reacting to the voter suppression that's ongoing, thank God for Tracy, Stacey Abrams, I love her. Oh my God, that girl. (laughs) Listen, 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 all her work. But thank God she's a leader. She's got to get into, she's got to. But they're showing us now in ways, and I get it, but some may talk the talk and not walk the walk, but then let's call them on it. Let's put it out there. Let's put it on the, let's put it on the internet. Like, nah. They didn't do anything. So I hope that's a, some answer to your question no, absolutely. before it went off. So, I mean, because you're also involved in theater, <laughs> you know, kind of on the spectrum of where the arts is with diversity and inclusion, do you feel that one is doing better than the other? Or do you feel like they're both kind of having a steady progression? I think they both are having a, a wake-up call. Believe yeah, because I've had experience in both, and, and I am starting to see, like, I, you know, I'm a member of SAG, a member of ADA, oh. and I am seeing the change, but I'm curious just from your vantage point, also being a director, if you think one is doing oh, better than the absolutely. other. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, there's some theater companies I freelance and work with, and I know that they're looking at their scenes and just be trying more EDI. You know, maybe we don't need to do that Shakespeare or that Tennessee Williams. Maybe we can substitute Susan Laurie Parks, or we can mm. substitute uh, Lynn Nottage, or maybe we can substitute Brandon Breakham, uh, Jacob Jenkins. I mean, they're looking to say, yeah. well, this season is not, in, this really not something inclusive about the season we've chosen at all. So maybe we should look, go back and look. The plays are there, the materials there, the actors are there, the directors are there, the technicians are there. But you thought by choosing that play, you had done your EDI work. And let me tell you, it's hard work. It's not, I know it's hard. The facilitators now that are working with companies, I know that hold sessions with the members and the hierarchy, it's not easy because who wants to give up privilege and power? Right. I don't know about you, but it feels good to have privilege and power. Who wants to really just give it up? So some of this is hard work. There are going to be tears. There's going to be anger. There's going to be soul searching. There's going to be beating of one's breast. But if you are seriously and sincerely committed to EDI, then it has to happen. And it just makes good sense. Yes. I mean, this nation is becoming more brown and black. It just yeah. is. Yeah. Our future is brown and black, guys. 100%. So, and I think you know, the other thing, just kind of going off of what you said, even about you know changing the name of the team so it doesn't um, cause any harm to the indigenous people, I think it's also getting people out of what they're comfortable with <sighs> and what they're used to. And it's also, it's, it's harder to unlearn something than it is to learn something. Amen. So when you are calling people out on these and calling people out on rhetoric or things that they've been used to, patterns they're used to, it's they're like it's kind of a shock to their system yes, you know yes. yeah like you're taking something away from them but wait yeah. a minute it's like the devil we know is better than the devil we don't know so yeah. we, we, we know washington our skins and all that we're used to that now you're yeah. saying we just gotta call them something else no i i know that no 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 and it's a perception that also you're calling the shots you're you know you're you're, you're calling the shots you're the one that's uh, naming what so it, it, it is a lot of hurt involved there's a lot yeah. there's hurt there's a lot of hard work involved but you know we've been doing it for the longest that we've been on the other end the longest <laughs> time so i'm sorry y'all if you're gonna <laughs> shed a tear or two at night because of this well you know what more power to you but it can't stand anymore it won't right. last anymore so yeah. Changes are happening in all industries, not just the entertainment industry. And I'm saying, Black Lives, if Brother George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Oman Aubrey, if they had not lost their lives, I don't think there was a moment in American history other than the civil rights movement, which I'm a child of. I've never seen so many people galvanize for change. Yeah. Never seen yeah. that kind of spirit and fervor. And non, non-Blacks, I've seen white kids right up there in the front. I'm like, Oh, snap, right up there in the front. 
marching. I'm going, that's not what happened in the civil rights movement. We had some whites, of mm -hmm. course, that were sympathetic and decided with us, but I see them in droves. And we were marching again for George Floyd last summer. You saw them. You, yeah, you oh, yeah. saw them. Absolutely. It was, you it know. was different. It was, it just felt different. Everything about it was different. I don't really know any other way to describe it. It was just different. different. Yeah. And, and I, and another thing I'll throw in, I think our arts are going to be different as a result of it too. Art's going to happen. I mean, we're going to have to make art in a different way. Also, it might be, I mean, it was a perfect storm because of the murders of black men and women and the pandemic, which also was disproportionately African-American and Latinx, suddenly, so what, so what are we going to put on our stages and on our screens now and our television sets? So what kind of material are we looking at? I think there's going to be a profound shift. We're still going to tell stories, of course, but just, just, see, just to see it more, just so we get some of the narrative too, that is, the narrative is not being controlled by a group of people, men, right. <laughs> who right. think they know the stories of indigenous people. Right, are there narratives that you haven't seen that you would like to see? Because I know, for example, you know, you were talking about with the black sitcoms back in you know the 90s when we had called the black renaissance we were just thriving at that time but you even said you know that people in the writers room were white so they may not have actually been fully accurately writing what the black experience is for example so are there any narratives that you wish were told and haven't been told yet in regards to the black experience it's interesting because some playwrights have written plays that people are black in it but it doesn't mention it it doesn't revolve around racism, bigotry, and slavery. Mm -hmm. And I don't sound like I'm betraying anything, but it'd be nice when we don't, we don't necessarily need to have a largely black cast story, but it's not based on racism, bigotry, and slavery. Yeah. I find that liberal because we're so much more. Yes, that's a history should not deny that, but I would be refreshed sometimes. When I saw something not too long ago. Was it last year? Play. Brilliant play, wonderful play. And the black people in it, there was nothing about racism, nothing about bigotry, prejudice. It, it's just, it was just refreshing in that way. When we can get to the point where we can tell stories, or LGBTQ, when we can tell stories without bringing up the fact of who we are, that, that's just who we are. All the simply black people, all the LGBTQ people in that story, but we're not holding up a banner saying, this is about that would be refreshing. The black struggle or the black trauma or yeah. 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 And God knows it's not trying to hide it or run from it, but this was so much more. Yeah. We're dynamic. It's, so and we yeah. want to see those. Yeah. I, I, I've always talked about how, for example, I don't know if you saw the movie Still Alice with Julianne Moore. Yeah. Like I would love to have seen a black female also exactly. like that because Alzheimer's happens in the black oh, community. You know, you, so I just something in that sense where it, it the race isn't actually a factor, like you're saying. I would love it. to see that kind of narrative. You've yeah. hit it. That's exactly right. What would it be if there was a, a BIPOC actress in that role? And, you know, it's not... Yeah, but other associative things like mental illness are still being covered, which yeah. disproportionately hits the black community. Yeah. But we're not harping on the fact of that. That would be... Well, that would produce a society and the narratives that we can come up with that that's, and seeing people in those roles because we all go through it. We all, in families, but somehow when we deal with like it tends to be centered around slavery and bigotry. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a heavy burden to always have to hold up the banner to. But I think it'll be refreshing 
I think it'll be refreshing. Yeah, I mean, there always seems to be this fear also, I've noticed, with production companies and directors, casting directors, whatever it may be, of putting people of color in lead roles like that. And why do you think there is a fear? Oh, I, I don't even accept that anymore. I know, it's, I, I, you know, I don't accept that. That's just, you said it earlier, you know, not wanting to be dictated to or not wanting to give up the power. Mm. I, I cannot long, knowing the, yeah. the varied... No, I cannot accept they're so afraid. No, that's just another form of Yeah, because there is this, it's obviously no. a false narrative, and we've proven that right. so much in the in the content that we've, that the black community, BIPOC community as a whole has produced, but there is this really irrational fear that it won't sell for some reason, and I've never understood that. Well, again, because it's based on my, I'm sorry, please. No, 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 but I was just going to say, because we've shown also just how influential black people are on society and in culture. So why would something that has a black lead Absolutely. not sell, you know? And, and that's why I don't accept it anymore. I think yeah. maybe that's a vestige from the from the days when we wanted to keep it white power and white yeah, privilege. Yeah, yeah. I really do. I can't accept, just like you just said, there's just so much variety that this sort of, and they, I've heard that excuse so many times. Yeah. They're afraid <laughs> to do it because black stories won't sell or, or we get... It's like that's that's the old guard. That's in that old guard world yeah. of where in maintaining power and privilege, we're always doubted. No, it's been proven too because it's just been proven too many times yes. for, for for you to lean on that old trope. Oh, we're gonna go for that one again. Is that the card we're gonna play again this time? That black audiences don't come out, and so we do a put <laughs> if we put a sister in that 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 no, yeah. that's just that that's 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 bait and switch. Let me talk about this so maybe enough people would get into about it. But say, well, what have you done? What have you done about it? And where did you cast it that you know that won't happen? Right. That you know that. T- tell me that, that you know that's going to happen. And there's never an answer to that because right. they, they know it, it will. So I, don't, I totally reject that. I don't, I don't, I just. You're like, I can't. I'm not. Camouflage. Can't. It's smoking mirrors. It's smoking mirrors. You. you hear that? It's smoking mirrors. It, that's all. Sure. It's, it's also laziness, to be honest. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Because we have such burgeoning artists out here and stories and that, that it's just get off your duff and find, find them. And another thing I found that was really interesting with the Black Lives Matter movement that's still going on is um, they're not coming to us, per se, to explain the problem away, because I don't do that anymore. Like, well, let's call, let's uh, chat with a Black person and find yeah. out what's going no, you're intelligent enough and resourceful enough and have enough knowledge, particularly with smartphones. Go learn about it on your own. You also Go have learn. eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So why does it come to, why does it have to be, I need to speak to a female about this because I need to speak to a male about that. No, you need to take your eyes. See, believe what you see. Yeah. Go do your own research. Go do your own uh go do your own, what is it called? Um, I can't, of course it's going on my mind now. And then you'll know. Yeah. And then you'll know. Yeah. I know you also have some thoughts on the Hollywood Foreign Press Association and them expanding their their voting members network because that also needs to be more inclusive. I think, we, you know, it's so common for everyone to talk about what happens in front of the camera, but there's so much behind the scenes that still needs work. And, you know, people always wonder why certain projects that are incredible that are starring or created by the BIPOC community don't get the attention that they deserve. And 
it really does go down to the voting members. So how That's much right. do you think that will actually change kind of the scope of the nominees that we would see in the future if they did expand their voting members? Immeasurably. Just like there's been an ongoing effort now for the Academy to bring in more bi younger and more BIPOC, uh, just like, a, what was the film in NWA? Uh, Straight out of Compton. That yeah, day, yeah, the, yeah, there was yeah. no ensemble nomination. There were no because probably they didn't go see it. So why do we want to see a group called NWA from Compton? Because but the majority of the members, you know, didn't want to go see it. So bringing in younger BIPOC individuals, again, you they have to you have to be in the decision making position as well. It's not enough to be the performers. Or, you have to be in the decision makers boxes or else it's always going to revert back to the trouble of what was. I think it's going to have a huge impact if we begin to let in folks who are underrepresented because yeah. they can bring a perspective to the stories, the narratives, the where right now a group I'm with are a few people are going to the LA Times saying, you need to buy a BIPOC critic. You need to have some mm -hmm. BIPOC critics because when they come out to review us, it's not that they're trying to slam us or anything, but they may not understand. Yeah. They don't know where it's coming from. So, yeah. so we're asking the LA Times, okay, let's have a conversation about this now. You know, because you need to have those. So just like you need to have BIPOC critics or major newspapers in major cities, you also need for the uh, foreign press to have more representation of women and people of color and LGBTQ. You have to. Yeah. It's this. Yeah. That's that's the trend. So yeah, and the academy has started. I mean, they, you know, they, they've started in terms of extending invites to now people who could look at, understand a film like Straight Outta Compton and have interest in it. Because even though while it was hailed as this really remarkable, well done product, yeah, it looks the award season came along and it's like, oh my god, it just was, it just fell out. Well, no, it's like was, it's what you said. Nobody went to see it. Nobody went to see it. <laughs> nobody went to see it. it. Must be about the you know that hip hop culture thing, and I I don't know for whatever reasons, but again, the the, the deck was tilted in, in a way that didn't allow it a chance. So I think it's refreshing. My my first words is. Uh, what took you so long? I, I, I go, what took you so long? Right. What took you so long yeah. to, but again, power doesn't concede easily. It never does. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, yes. because it doesn't. You know, no one wants to get, especially when you think of that, I have to give up something. I have to give up being able to see. I have to give up. Well, you know, no. If we're going to be inclusive, then it's not about giving up. It's about sharing. Right, and that's what the narrative that I really want to change is that, there's this mindset that if you're including other people, that something's being taken away from Why you. Is, I've and, never understood yeah. that. There's room at the table for everybody. Everybody's yeah. experiences are valid. Everybody's stories are valid. And and representation matters. I mean, why right. wouldn't you want to be able to positively influence maybe a, a young child that is looking at the television and wanting to do this, but they don't see anybody that looks like them. So they think, well, I guess yeah. this isn't for me. You know? And now I'm thinking that was really just a tool to remain powerful. That, mm -hmm. that, that, that was just a tool. That's one of the main... They've had a lot of practice at it. There's been a lot of practice at ways of keeping people, just like the uh, Republicans now trying to vote suppression. Well, yeah. no, it's not good that uh, Kamala won and Biden and there. No, you know, and so many black people came out to vote. Yes. To vote because again, Stacey Abrams and Georgia. Mm -hmm. So now let's rig the deck in such a way where we're going to make sure we suppress the vote. But isn't it good, just like your argument, isn't it good that people of all walks of life can come out and vote? They're American citizens. They meet all the, uh, if they meet all the criteria. Isn't that good? Well, it needs to be protected. Protected from what? Right. 
because it was all based on the big lie anyway. Yes, yes. It was, it's all these bills are based on the big lie. So it, it needs to be protected so you can't give someone standing in line for four hours water. It's going to be illegal to do that in your work. But they're going to vote. So what's going to – come on. You can see it. It's smoking mirrors. Yeah. It's bait and switch. We're yeah. saying that because you don't want them to come out. You don't want them to come. If you can't win fairly, well, let's try and win unfairly. Let's do what we've always done. Keep those blacks away from the poll. Yep. Keep those brown and black people away from voting. They're not fooling it. They're not fooling anyone. Right. We know Are what's they? happening. I mean, and that's why, you know, they're conservatives. They want to conserve what that has worked for them. Wow. For that's a, a wonderful way of putting it. Really. I'm, I'm going to steal that. So just <laughs> to believe you to know. Please do. Please they do. They want to conserve. That's I, and I mean exactly that. what it is, though. Because they don't want anything to change. But it's and so that's blatant. Why progressive, they want progression. We want to move forward. Conservatives right. want to conserve. Yeah, so that's oh, exactly gets, what it is. And the thing is, it's not even cleverly hidden. It's very clear that, yeah. oh, that's what those bills are about in all these places. It's about making sure black and brown people don't come out to vote. Yeah. So this that's talk about a struggle seeing power wanting to stay in power. Wow. I mean, 45 was calling people on the phone in Georgia saying, listen, can you find me? I mean, it's scandalous. And January 6th was also very important for our country as well, yeah. the January 6th insurrection, because yeah. then you saw clearly, wait a minute, if they were BIPOC folks, they wouldn't have gotten up there. They would have called They wouldn't even the, got past the front gate. <laughs> they would have called out the military. I'm telling you, with the militia, tanks, you name it. They might have dropped, <laughs> I don't mean this to be but they might have dropped an atom bomb. But, but seriously, we know that it would have been just a bloodbath had it been absolutely the community. Oh, absolutely! Even when it was peaceful, they still yeah. go after us like we're, you know, we're quite. And them people acted a fool. Them people, I'm like, them people beat up the police and they were kicking them and they, I'm like, destroying. And everyone saw so the power. Everyone's seeing and, uh, visually that. Oh my! But they're, they're oh they're walking out now. They're walking out now. They're going. But no one's arrested. They're just walking. Yeah. That, and that's the I, I even tweeted this. I was like, I honestly feel like it is only white people that would be able to go and attack the Capitol. And then some of them practically yes. did a press tour afterwards in terms of like interviews on the news. I'm like, how are these people not arrested? You're doing a, a, a PR tour? <laughs> like, I don't get right. it. You're right. It's two standards, two different yeah. standards, and it was shown so clearly. Yeah. I mean, they came there. Were they going to try and hang Pelosi and hang yeah. Pence? I mean, yeah. they were so. I mean, it's ugly. But they would. They walked in, did their destruction, and they just just walked. I mean, now they're rounding them up. Thank God. I hope they get every one of them. But we see the disparity between peaceful protests by BIPOC individual. Caucasians going hog wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. And they brought these these weapons zip ties and so yeah i mean that's there's been enough exam we know the deal yes. we know the deal so we just got to be part of it yeah call them one and be part of it thank yes, but thank yes. god biden and harris won it, it was thank god they did because i wasn't sure till the very i gotta tell you i 100 percent wasn't sure I, I, it's the very day of i gotta tell you i was biting my nails saying oh god what do we do for four years more years how can i do i move out of here I mean, what, what do i what do i do, how do I leave that's the, the thing i don't know what truly would have happened if he had won again and it it really did terrify me to have to think about it because i i yeah me i too. don't know if we people would have stayed i really don't think people would have stayed because we saw the last four years 
and I do think, I mean, January 6th was pretty much a, the predictable ending to his presidency, but predictable. Um, yeah. if he had won again, I just, oof. Yeah. Uh, I know. So it was a nail biter. It was a yes. nail biter because I, I, di- I didn't know. I mean, and look how many people did vote for 45. So I thought they might have their way. Well, and some of them still think he's supposed to be president, but <laughs> that's a oh, completely no, different conversation. Oh, yeah. A lot. The majority of uh, conservative Republicans believe the, the constituency that Biden yeah. did not win. Yeah. And how do you, yeah. well, how do you talk to them? How do you talk and how do you say, but there was like 60 judges around the country, Republican Trump appointees, said that it was baseless. They said there was no, there was no, what about that? Yeah. But yeah. you can't talk to people. With you can't. Don't. And what I've learned and, and you'll understand this also coming from a, a church background that specifically within the white evangelical community, they are not taught critical thinking. So they're not going to listen to facts or truth or read anything. They're going to believe what they are told. And the, the, the bottom line is they were told by the person that they thought was president that he won the presidency. And that was all that they needed to hear. I concur. I think you've read it totally right. That in that particular community you're talking about, it's not about science and facts and, and whatnot. It's really just about, well, this person, almost like the Messiah has said this yeah. and forgive my, but it's almost like the Messiah spoke yeah, and yeah. said it. And that's what we're going to be. And you can't, you, have, you can't have a conversation about that because there's not, there's, there's no, it's totally unreasonable. Yeah. I don't care how many facts I shove in your face. And no, there was no voting for it. There was no this, there was no that. You believe in a man I think you were, that you think was called to save the country or to do whatever. There's none. So, but, you know, but they're part of, they're Americans too, but I'm just glad they didn't prevail this time around. Right, right. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't prevail. Yes. I lose. Four is enough. Four years is enough. Four Absolutely. years is enough. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, let's talk about uh, your new feature film that's coming up, Seventh and Union. So what are Seventh some of the themes that are within the the film, and why do you think it's a relevant film today? Well, you know, it, 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 it masquerades as a boxing movie because there's a lot of boxing in it, and, it's, and, it, and they're wonderfully staged. But basically, a Mexican fighter who was, uh, had quite a career in Mexico, one fight too many, and he's warned he can't fight again. Young guy, he can't fight again. So he moves to the United States with his wife and child. And of course, all he can get is day laborer work. He's on the corners at those paint stores and other places, construction mm. sites, trying to pick up work. And I play a, a, a character who was a boxer, but also just went a little crazy with that world, that life. Lost my child. I mean, I'm estranged from my daughter, and and of course, divorced my wife. And somehow, in each other, in this uh, the oddest way, relationships happen. We bond in a way that gives us both a second chance. Mm. And this is brown and black. We bond together in ways they find in each other. That must be a generation older than the, the young guy uh, in the film. Omar Chapado is his name. He's really a Mexican, wonderful star. And uh, we come together. We come together and find each other. And it's, I mean, that's one of the themes. Some of the most unlikeliest people can have the same can have a, can, can understand where their lives are yeah. because without him intervening or my intervening in his life, we would have just continued down the road that we had, which probably pretty wasteful stuck, but because something, we saw something in each other that was kindred. And I, you know how sometimes you can speak to um, a stranger a little bit more than you can speak to even friends that you can find. Yeah. I don't know what it is. So while it, the background of it is a boxing movie, it really is about these two very disparate, desperate and disparate individuals that happen to be BIPOC coming together to learn about each other and to, and to offer each other redemption. Mm. 
It really is about redemption. I hope I explained it well. No, I love that. Is there, without giving away too much of the film, is there a particular scene that you can think of off the top of your head that moved you personally? Yeah, there were several. It was written beautifully written by Oscar Torres. He's the writer, screenwriter, one of the producers. And and my God, there's a um, there's a speech that I I know that uh, there's a fight setup that I know I don't know if he can win. I just don't know if he can win. This guy really is is outclassed. And and I sit down and I talk to him about hate and confidence in oneself. I don't know if that's vague, but mm-hmm. in just terms of saying you're not fighting the fighter, you're fighting yourself. I don't say those exact words, but for me, the theme and what, what was I getting at that, that it, the enemy is within, the enemy is not the person you're facing. That's not, yes, you're as well-trained as they are, you have the same power, but so many times the enemy is within, is, is our going back to those traumas we once had and believing, well, I can't do, I can't do this, I'm going to fail, I'm going to, but really facing your own fears and facing yourself and your own traumas and crises in your life and bring and stepping out, and, and that's very difficult to step out of that. Yeah. So there was a wonderful speech I gave him in this where I break down what I what I feel in a way I'm explaining to you. And it, oh, I always felt like I always felt like crying. I'm always near tears because I just realized how we're sometimes we're our own worst enemies. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we are our own. We get in the way of our own success. We block it. Now they're generational trauma. I understand, but sure. to be able to tell someone, I see in you the potential. I see in you the achievement. I see in you. But now. Do you see it in yourself? Mm. And when that, and it was just him and I talking about it, and I was always so moved by that. I was always so, yeah, because we get in the way of our own success. We get in our way of our own achievement. And that's just human. That's a human characteristic. I mean, it felt wonderful to reach out and teach someone and help someone. And that's what it reminded me of. It's uncharacteristic that I would open up that wide in in the film to say, well, you know, you got it. But it's not him you're facing. It's yeah. all your old traumas, your mama. It's that's what you're facing. Get it. He's just a body in front of you. But now, if you go in thinking less of yourself, you won't win. And I just thought, again, it's I'm schmaltzy that way. I, I'm a mush pot that way. It's like, oh. <laughs> it just it just touched me to no end to think that I could I was able to say those words to this young man. Yeah and make a difference in his life. And, and, and that for me was one of the penultimate scenes in the film for me, laying my cards on the table saying, I, I'm like a surrogate father. I become like a surrogate father, this yeah. young Mexican guy. Mm-hmm. But to, to, to dispense that kind of, because it has such powerful resonance saying to someone, I see success in you. I see achievement in you, but I, I, do you see it in yourself? Yeah. All of our young brothers and sisters and in a society that doesn't want to achieve, that doesn't expect you to achieve, prison, school to prison pipelines yes. and, and all of that. Can you say, I, I only succeeded because my mom and dad were adamant at me about my going to good school. I, I'm telling you, when, when I grew up in Brooklyn, uh, I know when I was going to high school, there were the high schools, the choices they gave us were two or three high schools in the area. And they were pretty bad. They were pretty horrific. Mm-hmm. But they were, they were understaffed, you know, not, not enough funding, but I was smart enough. My grades were good to go to a, I was like one of the first set of, set of kids in my era, like bust out. There was another school quite far from me, so I had to go there, but it was academically rigorous and wonderful. And it was really because of my parents That's that wonderful. I got to go to that school. If it wasn't for them just, just raising a ruckus, just saying, no, 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 look at his grades. No, 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 he's not going to go to that one. No, no, we want him to go, but, but he can't. Yes, he can't. 
And I just remember how they intervened and made sure that I got into that better school. If it wasn't for that, I'm sure I would have been expected to fail. We were, yeah. Come on, young boys and uh, BIPOC boys and girls were expected to, not expected to achieve. For sure. And the system set and up to not allow us to, honestly. So prison, that's why baby, prison. going back to one of your original points that, for example, like Issa getting her, her show produced, like the amount of work that the BIPOC community has to do to even get to that point, people have no idea. <laughs> no idea. They don't. They don't because we already have something against you because, again, we're, the expectation is that you won't succeed, that you're just taking up the space. And how did that ever – you don't – you won't succeed. So, yeah, that that for me is is, is so important to instill in young brothers and sisters and, and, and even our adults that you can succeed. You can – don't listen to those voices. even though, And that's why you have to root out systemic racism. It's not so much in your time but for your children's and your children's children and your children's time that they won't have to go through the same – struggles that they don't Absolutely. have to just to just to think we could be a, a catalyst and a movement to prevent that from happening so a black body can be out in the streets and not worry when they hear a siren behind them exactly. or in front of them Remove whether they be fear. male or female right yeah. that a black body can walk the streets whether it's night whether it's day and there's not a fear of what well, i'm going to be picked up and we slammed again if i make yeah. a wrong move i'll wind up dead right which is right. i mean we're it's all, very very realistic yeah it's a very real feeling. Yeah, we all suffer from post-traumatic stress syndrome. Mm. I believe firmly, all black people. Yeah, I know when I'm in a series. I know when I'm in when I go into a place. Am I the only black person? Okay, so I'm. Oh, how many? But why am I doing that? What, yeah. what? Well, because somehow you don't feel like you belong here, and they're watching you. Right. 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 That's post-traumatic stress. It is. And I want to ask you about that. Actually, you know, have you ever walked onto a set? expecting to be one of the only black people and then you were pleasantly surprised? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I have. I love In fact, that. once I'll give you a story. Once I walked into a set of a sitcom I was working on and the uh, a really distinguished looking black gentleman, I would say in his 50s, 40s or 50s, uh, I could tell he was, so I walked up to him and I said, because uh, I thought he was an AD, uh, one of the assistant directors, so I was trying to find my trailer or something like that. And I said, hi, um, listen, hi, I'm Greg Daniel, I'm reporting in, where, where, where is it? He said, oh, no, no, I'm the director. Because it was, so, I so really saw black directors in yeah. sitcoms at the time. So when I'm asking him, could you point me to the, which one is mine? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. We're still friends to this day, but... It was like the earth moved. That's incredible. Says, no, 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 I'm the director. <sighs> all right, brother. All <laughs> that was right. a breath of fresh all... air, I bet. He's a, a terrific man, a terrific guy, family man, terrific guy. But just the fact that I went, wow, I am so yeah. proud of you, brother, for getting Aww. here. Just between it, I am so freaking proud to report to you. I will be so good on this episode because I want it to reflect. But seriously, you want to go, okay, let's work and make sure that you get yeah. brought back. And I'm sure that moment meant a lot to him as well to have you acknowledge, validate him in that moment. I truly hope that we get to see more of that because those those moments are important. But Greg, it was such a pleasure chatting with you. Well, this has been such a pleasure speaking with you, really. It's yeah, been... I'm so happy that we got a chance to connect. Can you let everyone know where they can find you and also where when they can see your new film that's coming out? So we premiered June 2nd at the Latin uh, LA International Film Festival, which is, I think, at, what is that theater? The TLC, the TCL, over, like, used to be Groman's Chinese. That's how old I am. 
This is going Miss Chinese Data. I'm going to give you my handles right now. Okay, on Twitter, I'm at real Greg Daniel. I spell my name G R E G Daniel. So at real Greg Daniel, and Instagram is official Greg Daniel. Wonderful. And you'll see Greg spell just like in my little box. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Please make sure you follow Greg and look out for his new film coming out. And to the listeners, make sure you subscribe to We Need to Talk. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Bye.